0: Over the last year and a half, as we've been dealing with COVID-19, one of the most frustrating things about all of this has been knowing who to listen to. There are so many voices out there telling us what to do, what not to do, what works, what doesn't work. And this whole pandemic has become so politicized that it has become beyond ridiculous. Well, I hope today we can get some answers. I have invited my, my friend, Dr. Alice Thornton, an infectious disease specialist who practices medicine and teaches at the University of Kentucky, uh, to come and help us um, make sense of what's going on, to tell us what's true, what's not true, who to believe, what to do, and what not to do. And so I think today is an incredibly important episode of Floods of Justice. Before we hear from Dr. Thornton, however, I just want to mention a couple of things. One is that we recorded this particular episode of Floods of Justice on Zoom uh, and it was live on Facebook. And so you may hear some things uh, that make, that'll make that make sense knowing that this was on Facebook Live before it was turned into a podcast. I tried to edit some of that stuff out But I'm still learning how to edit, and so I thought, you know, the content is so important, I don't want to mess it up. I'll just explain uh, that there may be some things that you hear today that only make sense knowing that it was on Facebook Live before it became part of a podcast. Also, you will hear a dog barking in the background, and that is because Dr. Thornton, this infectious disease specialist works from home as often as she can. And so that was her dog barking in the background. But I want you to think about that. Here is a doctor, a specialist in diseases, a specialist when it comes to COVID-19. And here we are a year and a half later, and she still does her best to work at home as much as possible for the safety of herself and of her family and of the patients that she deals with. So, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5, and I want to read verse 24, where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels, led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev. He is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the Coffee House at 2nd and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. I'm so excited this morning to have my friend, Dr. Thornton, uh, with us. And uh, she has been on the front lines uh, since, since really the very beginning. Uh, Dr. Thornton um, completed her medical degree her her medical degree at Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia, and she is currently the professor of medicine in the in the University of Kentucky Department of Internal Medicine. So it's hard for me to say, but go Wildcats, right? But uh, you know, <laughs> all right. Well, but right. we'll just let that slide uh, for right now. But um, she is also the chief of the University of Kentucky Division of Infectious Diseases, and so she is an infection disease specialist. And uh, back in late January, when I had COVID, my brother, a uh, medical doctor, reached out to her just to, uh, for some information and some things to help me. And so I appreciate I appreciate that. I appreciate your friendship with my brother. Um, and uh, my, my brother will tell you, he's probably gonna watch this if he's gonna be upset. But after I got better, uh, he, we laughed about it, but he woke up in the middle of the night um, to pray for me And the night that he prayed for me was the night that really I had the worst time, but he also said his mind started running. And so he started planning my funeral. So that part of it's not good. Uh, But, uh, but we, we joke about it now. So Jeff, if you're watching, I'm sorry, but uh, I just, I still get a kick out of that, out of that story. And, and, uh, and thankful that, uh, uh, that, that I got, that I got over it, but I know that you've been out there on the front lines. And so if you wouldn't mind, Um, Dr. Thornton. I want to try to remember to call you Dr. Thornton. (laughs) Uh, You can call me
1: Alice. That's okay. Even my patients sometimes call me Miss Alice or Dr.
0: Alice. So I may I may mess up. I tell people because you know I I have a doctorate degree and, and anytime somebody calls me Dr. Riggs, I'm like, okay, that's my dad or my brother. That's not that's not me. Um, But um, welcome to um, to this and just if you wouldn't mind give us just a quick uh, background uh, of what you're doing and tell us maybe a little bit about your own experiences over the last 15 months of being really on the front lines, Uh, you're on the front lines before it hit and now working with this um, uh, during this pandemic I know has been rough so.
1: Well, and Kevin, I'm going to try my best not to cry, but um, when I'm talking to friends or family and we're talking about COVID, I almost always get teary and I can't explain why my dad was a crier and I'm a crier. So, um, But I just do want to thank um, your heritage. Uh, Folks may not know this, but before I became a physician, your brother and I, um, were at uh, Free Will Baptist Bible College, and we both were doing um, degrees in other things. Mine was in elementary education, and my, uh, with a major also in Bible, and your dad was one of my favorite teachers, and I always um, just love your family and the heritage that the Rigs have had, and um, really appreciate that. The examples that you guys have been both um, with Christian education and education and community involvement. And then your brother, Jeff is a very dear friend of mine. And we both were trying to go to medical school at the same time. So we suffered a lot of the same uh, kind of trials and tribulations, but- uh, Except
0: except he suffered on the beach in Miami. So don't let him forget that. (laughs) So he didn't suffer too much.
1: (laughs) That's true. Um, But my life, and everybody's life began to change in March. And um, I've had some wonderful people that work with us here at the University of Kentucky and a dear uh, dear friend, um, um, Dr. Um, Derek Forrester, who is also, and I'll just say, and I'm not saying this because you're a pastor, but uh, Derek has a very strong um, spiritual sense about him. He's a very strong faithful person, and his task before COVID and then after COVID at the University of Kentucky was to be the leader uh, of infection control at the University of Kentucky, and so I'll never forget the moment that actually my son, a student at the time, a graduate student at UK, texted me and said, mom, do you got, do you know that you guys have the first a first case of COVID at the hospital, and I'm like, how does my son know this before I even know it, you know, Um, so that was, that was my first moment, and I immediately reached out to Derek, who had been working with this patient, and at that point, Kevin, we didn't even know how to make the diagnosis, right, I mean, we went from knowing not even, you know, we live, in a medical community and society where I can quickly do a strep test on you, I can do this on you and that on you and know, you know really quickly what's going on with you. And Derek had spent behind the scenes two and three days with this young woman um, figuring out how to test her because at that point, we didn't have that figured out in the state of Kentucky. And so I reached out to Derek and I said, Derek, um, how can we help you? And he said, I don't even know yet. Let me think about it, because his job immediately was to lead lead the University of Kentucky in this response at that moment. And he's like, give me a day or so. Let me think about it. And I said, well, you know, at this point, I may be your boss, but right now we're your soldiers. You're the lead. We're going to jump in there and help you however we can. And those are my very first memories. Um, my husband and I, I was supposed to have gone out of town to a meeting. It was canceled because of COVID. Um, My husband and I met a a friend of mine and and her husband, and we met at a restaurant. And that was like the last, you know, that was the last hurrah of normalcy as we sat there in that restaurant getting texts and, and, you know, doing that. So that was my first first moment, and it hasn't stopped since then. We've been some times where we've had some moments where we can just put it aside, but it's been a constant, you know, I've lived with COVID, uh, with people suffering from COVID um, for the last however many months it's been, and um, it's been crazy.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I, I'm not, I can't tell you who it is because of HIPAA violations, but one of our mutual friends at, uh, in our times that in college would have overlapped was like the second person uh, in my county and we, so he had been one of the first people in the state of Tennessee um, to get COVID now his was mainly asymptomatic and he, it really wasn't um he he did well with it I guess for lack of a better word but he was he was right up there um yeah. as one of the first ones in our state to get it so with you with you working uh in this area just tell us a little bit about um I guess you know, help us separate us, common people. There's so much going on, and there's so much misinformation. Just tell us a little bit about, you know, what what really is the case, and what are some of the myths? What are some of the things people believe that's not true? um, But then, you know, um, just how, you know, from your perspective, how um, how cautious should we be about all this?
1: Yeah, and 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 you're right, Kevin. Um, because this is something that none of us have ever gone through um, it's really hard and, and we live in I call it the McDonald age where we drive through we pick up a hamburger everything's instantaneous right and I feel like of all the things that have happened through COVID this is kind of a good thing in that it's put a perspective on everything is not just flipping hamburgers so, information that comes out, um, as, it, as people have seen with COVID, and, and there's been a lot of um, people felt frustrated, right? Because they're like, wait a minute, you told me yesterday it was this, and now today you're saying this. It's evolving. We, this is an unprecedented time. Uh, the whole world, at the same time, has never experienced something like this other than in the early 1900s during the big flu pandemic, right? And so we are living in a time unlike any other. And um, what we know today may be different in three days as we get the information. And so I think for people that are not used to that type of pace of information and maybe how things evolve, um, they view it as lies. And they think, well, wait a minute, you told me not to wear a mask. Now that you're telling me to wear a mask, okay, now we have good information saying that's what you should do. Wait a minute, you told me there wasn't a vaccine, and now you're telling me there is a vaccine, and so it's just, um, it's how things are evolving, and also I think that you look at the, you know, we talk about looking at the science, and people are like, but this is going too fast. It couldn't be that you're looking at science. You have to think about it in this way. Everybody that could even possibly be looking at COVID at that moment when our life in the world changed. People that could no longer go in the office and work on this or that, if they were able to work on this, the whole world that if they had a skill set, they concentrated on trying to work on COVID problems, which was amazing. I have a nephew that's down in Florida and he works for, I think it's Siemens. Um, uh, I don't know if it's engineering or whatever, But he stopped what he was doing, working with big turbines and started working on how to create masks that would protect uh, medical personnel from getting COVID. And so I think that's the one thing for people to understand is that as a demand, and we should be thrilled that our world, our country, our states, our counties, everybody picked up on this is a crisis and we must stop what we're doing and really concentrate if you have that skill set on what can you do to solve pieces of the COVID problem. And so I think, unfortunately, for some people, that translated into well, people are saying different things, and so they must be lying. And really, a lot of it is time. You know, with time, we have no more information. So I don't know if that's a good way to start that um, thinking about that. But I just you know think that. Was one of the first things that people found out, and I will say it: the University of Kentucky uh, already mentioned a little bit that the first thing we had to do was to figure out how to test people, and we didn't know how to do that. So we yeah. had to look at look with our pathologists, look with uh, local lab like LabCorp and places like that, and figure it out. And what we said one week looked different than the very next week because by the time the next week had come around. Like our university had figured out, oh, okay, we can use this platform and do the testing ourselves. Before that, the week prior, we were sending it off to LabCorp. So that changed. So it's all been extremely um, fast paced in one sense, but at the same time, it is drug out and we're all just physically and mentally tired of it. Um, But that's been the pace. And I think that has contributed to people feeling confused.
0: Yeah, well, I I know for me personally, just you know, when I was very, very hopeful that once the vaccine was widely available, that um, things would return um, to somewhat normalcy quickly. And and here we are now, and and things seem to be worse than uh, this time last year. I I was just reading in the paper um, this morning, you know, Labor Day last year, there were, you know, X number of cases. And now Labor Day this year, the number of cases has increased uh, dramatically, and, th- and then another article just showed the differences between the number of cases in Memorial Day this year compared uh, to Labor Day, and it's just, you know, it's just increased now I'm not sure now one of the things I hear I hear anywhere from 95% to 99.9% but what is the actual um, percentage of people who do not recover and who, uh, and who unfortunately die from uh, from. Yeah, COVID?
1: yeah. so um, some of our early data um, is data from Wuhan, China. And so that that is, and it seems to have carried forward. Now again, we may have changes um, after we look at the un, uh, after we look at vaccinated people. But looking at unvaccinated people, particularly the early data from China, and then the U.S.'s unvaccinated data up until more people got vaccinated, about 15% of people with COVID will get sick enough that they need to be hospitalized or you know stop and take notice. So that means 85% of most people that get COVID will be able to stay at home, okay? So then you take that 15% and then you're talking about people that might get um, pneumonia, um, they may get you know, dehydrated or other problems that ends up them being in the hospital. And then you have m- another percentage of people that may actually die. And so the death rate by percentage is actually determined by a lot of factors. And so that can be your age, your immune status, um, what other comorbidities you have. And so definitely from, again, some of that early data, if you were 85 and 90 coming in, particularly in those early months, you had like a 15% chance more than someone that was younger than you of dying. So by the time you go through it, you, may, you know, it may only be like a, a 5% or whatever percent of the total population, but as you age, your percentage chance of dying definitely went up. And as you had more comorbidities,
0: yeah. uh, diabetes,
1: yeah. kidney problems, uh, morbid obesity, um, lung issues, heart issues, then that adds on to your percentage of, percentages of getting really sick with the infection.
0: Yeah. And of course, if it's your family member or loved one who, who passes away, those percentages don't really, they don't, exactly they don't really matter. And I, and I always remind myself of that when people say, yeah, but we're making such a big deal over something that the survival rate is, is you know, 90, 99% or whatever it may be. But it's like, yeah, but if it's your loved one or your your child, um, you know, and, and I tell people also after having had it, and I told you before we went on air, I had a rough 11 days. Uh, of it, and one night, to be honest, I I'm, I probably should have gone gone to the, the hospital, but there was this. If I ever if I go to the hospital, I'm not going to come back, and uh, and I I had that monitor on my finger for my oxygen, and my oxygen never dipped into a dangerous category. So I thought, well, I'll just I'll just I'll just keep keep fighting it um, uh, from that. But I forgot where I was going with that, by the way. Now.
1: Well, but I want to, I want to just, because we're on air and hopefully, you know, this is more, you know, probably more non-medical people. I do want to point out that you made a really good point, Kevin, if there's any way that people, if they do get COVID, if you can get like that little oxygen thing that you talked about, the pulse socks, yeah, um, yeah. sometimes you can get them pretty cheaply. Sometimes the, they're very expensive. It ranges anywhere from 15 to $45. Um, but the, the point I want to make is that You've got that on so that you can know when you're in the danger zone, and so one of the things to notice is that when your pulse ox gets below 94%, so 94, when it gets below 94% and hangs down lower than that, that's the time, you know, really to seek out help, and I've seen people say, oh yeah, we waited to go to the hospital until they were 75%, no, reach out for help at below 94%. You may not have to go to the hospital at that moment, but reach out. And if you can't do anything else, then at least call 911 at that point. But that's the good thing about that. So um, we've been buying those um, for our HIV patients. We have an, a, a very large HIV clinic, 1,600 to 1,650 patients. And so with our grant funds, we've been buying Pulse Ox for our patients. And then so my colleagues and I have been pinching up money um, and buying them for a non-HIV patient so that if we have people that don't have the funds to get that pulse ox, they can get it. So if there's one thing you could get for someone with COVID, if you have the money, get them a pulse ox.
0: Yeah. yeah and I, I have a touch of asthma. So mine, mine would hang around yes. at 95, uh, sometimes 97, but it's just I was just, but I monitored it. I watched it, um, I watched it closely. Uh, from that, But where I was going with that, what I tell people is, so my experience was uh, was rough 11 days. I've got a friend in Michigan who is one of the long-term people now. It's been almost a year, and he was a nurse working with COVID patients and got it, and, and he's still struggling with some long-term effects. And the, the thing that's really scary about COVID, I mean, people dying is the worst thing, but outside of that is you do not know how it's going to affect you until you get it. And that's so you exactly might you right. might get it and just be asymptomatic. Somebody else gets it and they, they have these long-term effects. And, and, you know, and I guess a lot of that is because it's just a, so much unknown about it, but that's what, and so basically it's hard to convince people that you need to treat this as if you're the worst case scenario. I mean, not, not living in yeah. fear, but if you get it and it wasn't much more than a cold for you, then don't think that that's how everybody's gonna respond. You know, That's it's right. like okay, you may have got it, and you may have like I had a friend who had it and missed two weeks of work. He didn't, and he was asymptomatic the whole time; never had the first symptom, but was testing positive. And then, you know, me and I, and then another friend who was a month. I had a friend whose twelve-year-old daughter passed away hmm. uh, from it. But then my uncle, I had a, a uncle who's one hundred and one years old who who got it and recovered. And so it's like you just don't. Yeah. I, You know, you can't
1: predict. Yeah. And I always tell everybody because, you know, people reach out to me and and they're very apologetic and saying, oh, I'm sorry that I'm bothering you. And I'm like, look, every text, every phone call I get or email about COVID, I take it very seriously, whatever the question is, whatever the contact is, because this could be somebody's life. And that's what we've seen exactly what you've described, Kevin, even though people are like, oh, well, only 2% of people are dying. Yeah. But you know what? I don't want to be in that two percent, even though I'm, you know, if it, and people are like, oh, if it's my time to die, um, you know, I don't want to be in that two percent. I don't want someone I love or know or care about to be in that two percent. It's a terrible way to die, um, and and you've described some of that 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 suffering where you you're isolated, mm-hmm. and also smothering. I mean, you can't breathe, and so to me, you know, an, another terrible way to die would be drowning. You know, and I. Not had COVID, but um, even when people have a normal pulse ox, they have that sense that they can't breathe, and that's a very terrible way to feel.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, it is uh, that that one night when the, my coughing was really bad. And, uh, and so i was coughing i couldn't catch my breath and then just to be quite honest anxiety th- at that point oh,
1: <laughs> anxiety gets dim yeah. so
0: I, yeah. I was doing every breathing exercise where well, i was praying real hard too but i was doing every breathing exercise and everything i could think of just to okay if i can calm myself down right then i'll be able to tell how bad and right. again fortunately my my oxygen never dipped and so I, that's that gave me assurance okay i just need to calm myself down and and uh, uh, and
1: that's the good thing about having that objective pulse ox, because most people do feel that um, a lot of people describe it as chest tightness or chest discomfort or short of air. And so having that pulse ox, it actually also helps the person that you're feeling anxious because you can't breathe. But then when you're looking at that, you're like, oh, OK, I'm actually breathing better than I can. Yeah. And it may be your body telling you you might need an inhaler you mentioned having asthma, yeah, so even, anything. yeah, e- even with a regular infection, you probably need an inhaler, yeah. um, and so definitely with COVID, people often need an inhaler to try to help that, so those are all very real things that people feel, um, but I, I do want to go back, you mentioned, you know, the myths and things that we've combated with, and the, um So the World Health Organization, and you know this from having parents who, I don't know if your parents were ever missionaries, but definitely your dad had lots of missionary friends and you probably do too. So the World Health Organization, I mean, to me, that's not political. Um, This is a world organization that is looking out, not just for rich Americans, but really dirt poor people all across the Mm -hmm. world. And the World Health Organization, if you look, they have three things three basic things, and this is just getting back to the basics, three basic things that they talk about that they recommend, and the first one is um, the social distancing, and so if you think about that being three feet would be, you know, maybe a little bit close, six feet would be better, but three, you know, three to six feet, that's what the World Health Organization recommends, and they do, you know, a lot of us were so tired of this. We want to hug everybody. I still, I have people that reach out to shake my hand, and I smile, and I'm like, "Here's my elbow." You know, uh, this happened to me last week, and I felt so bad for the young person that reached out to shake my hand. But I'm like, "I'm, I'm not shaking hands still," you know. Um, and so that distancing, though, for people that may not have vaccines, because there's people at, in the world right now who do not have access to the vaccine. So don't forget, yeah. this is not political. The World Health Organization has recommend that we distance, okay? And then the next thing, of course, is the mask. And I know that is a dynamite issue right now, but take yourself away from the United States. Let's go to the World Health Organization. If you go on their website about COVID, it shows masks are another good way to help prevent it. And then the third way is just back, they have soap and water. So let's say you can't even afford to buy the alcohol that we've all been using on our hands. Good old soap and water is very effective. So back to the basics, right? These are things that, you know, maybe not as much social distancing, but even as we were growing up as kids, you know, our parents would say, you know, go in the other room. Don't be, you know, you're sick. You don't need to be around people or stay home from school. These are things that we know are tried and true true and that we can do. So three simple things, social distancing, masking and washing your hands. And it's okay if you use soap and water, you don't have to have special alcohol. Yeah. So those are the, and those aren't myths. (laughs) I mean, people have made them into myths, but those are true. We didn't know how important they were early on, but they have, um, you know, they've been shown to be three good things that you can do.
0: Yeah. And that's That's
1: even before we talk about vaccines.
0: Yeah, and 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 you didn't mention anything about taking um, veterinarian medicine. You
1: know? No, no, these are just good old good old basic hygiene. That even if you're in a third world country or in rural Kentucky, rural West Virginia, rural Tennessee. Um, and you don't have access, and I'm not trying to imply that if you're rural, you're poor, but I'm just saying access, you know, sometimes people might, one of my sons, he always reminds me that everybody doesn't have the same access that all of us might have, Yeah. and so even if you have limited access, those are three things that you can do.
0: Yeah, well, explain a little bit, or just talk a little bit about how the mask work, because, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the thing that I hear from some people is you know the, the cloth mask especially they're not very effective the the molecules or whatever of the of the virus are so small they're just going to go through that uh, anyway and so you're not really doing any you know you're not really doing any good and then other people say well no the mask is is to keep your droplets from getting on other people it's not so much to um, yeah. and to, it's actually you know.
1: yeah and it's actually both and interestingly enough again if we go back to history. Uh, back to the early 1900s. Um, that was some of their, you know, again, these are tried and true health mm-hmm. health things that we do and we've done for years. And that was one of their they they stopped shaking hands, they started distancing um, and and they had I forget what some of their greetings were. They may have done a little bow or something like that. But if you go back and look, you know, some of the things that they did back then, but masking, they started masking. Now their masking didn't exactly look like ours. They didn't necessarily recognize the contribution of the nose, um, but they started masking. And masking is good for me as the person might be trying to keep from getting infected and you who are exposed to me. So by wearing a mask, I'm, I'm protecting myself from you, but I'm also protecting you. So it's a two way. And um, it's okay, the molecules are uh, blocked by the mask. It's not 100% um, with the regular mask, but a cloth mask, if that's all you have, a cloth mask is better than no mask. Yeah. If you have a cloth mask, then the two layer, two la- if you pull it and you can see two layers, that's that's the best scenario for the, for a cloth mask. Um, also another good feature for a cloth mask would be that metal you know if it has a little bit of the metal there that you can bend it to your nose um, the old surgical masks that we had years for years now um, they're blue or yellow or different colors those are those are fine uh, I really like those in um, those kn95 those they used to only be white but now they're in lots of different colors um, they're you could, they kind of are a little bit more expensive, but those are nice. Um, and then if you are working in a hospital, you know you might have access to what we call the N95s, which we use for TB. The other thing for people to remember, because they're like, oh no, this is terrible. You can't, you know, you're gonna have low oxygen and you're gonna have high CO2. People may not realize, but when you are in the operating room, the people that are doing your surgery, so let's say you have open heart surgery or some other surgery that's going to take three to five hours or however long. They're going to have a mask on the entire time because science has shown that the person expelling that bacteria into that very sterile area can make you very sick when we have your sterile abdomen opened up or heart opened up or whatever. And so Uh, People in healthcare have been wearing masks for a very long time. They're not gonna pass out from CO2 or whatever uh, collecting under the mask. It it works, it's just fine. Um, You know, I I started medical school in 1988 and I remember being a medical student with masks on. So we've, we've used masks in the surgical arena and sterile procedures for a really long time and masks go all the way back to the 1900s during the flu pandemic when we were using them as well.
0: Yeah. so, so do you think this is my own for my own personal because I have a cloth mask, but really what I hear you saying is the surgical mask, which aren't very expensive at all, are probably a little bit better than just a basic cloth mask.
1: I mean, I think it depends on your situation. Um, my husband is um, he was he's a retired teacher and now he's working um, as a teacher assistant and um, you know, my preference for him, being with those unvaccinated children, is for him to have either a surgical or those uh, KN95, they look like a big white duck bill um, because I feel like you get a, a more firm, you know, you get closed up a little bit yeah, around yeah. your face and you can be a little bit more firm. But, you know, again, you know, it sort of depends if you're going to the grocery store and you, other people have masks on. You know, maybe that's where you want your cloth mask if you're going to be around, or maybe you're going to be around other vaccinated people and you want your cloth mask on. If you're going to be around a lot of kids, though, I would think about the surgical or the KN95, Um, and I've got, I'm going to grab the KN95 just to show you what
0: I'm talking about in case people don't know. All right.
1: So these are the so these are the surgical masks that we're talking about. Um, you know they look like this. So this is what people have worn for years when they're doing surgery. That's why it's called a surgery mask. And we've worn these for years when we're going into a patient's room with the flu. Um, and then this one, um, I do like these a lot. Um, these, these are um, they are available online uh, and it's got KN95 on them. I like them because I wear glasses and I like them because they pinch really nice here. So I'm not getting that air coming up and fogging me. So I I like those really well. And then we have yet another one, which is an N95, that if you know the person has COVID or you're highly suspect they have COVID and you're a healthcare worker, it's fitted for your face. You have to get fitted and we wear those. But this is what, I use these a lot. And I do use cloth masks, Kevin. but if I'm, if I'm in clinic, we're supposed to use either surgical or these um, when we're seeing patients that we don't know if they're COVID positive or not.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk, you, you mentioned kids a few times and that's kind of where we are now with the Delta variant is, it's, is that the number of children getting um, COVID has increased, you know, whereas early on it seemed like that kids didn't get it very much. Um, even though again, I had a friend whose 12 year old did did get it and died but they weren't getting it and now uh and now they are and so uh, you know why is that or why is the delta variant more contagious or or uh yeah or why are children becoming more success, um, more likely to get it now than they yeah. were
1: yeah and i heard someone say and i thought this was interesting and i don't and i apologize my Yorkie is
0: just going crazy That's all right.
1: <laughs> i even got into a different part of the health um, but anyway, um, you're right. The Delta virus does seem to be more contagious. And um, it does seem like it's affecting children more. But you need to remember that this virus, um, COVID virus, and even you know other viruses, they're looking for a host. And so really, who are the biggest part of our population that are unvaccinated? And that's the children. Okay. So it wants to live. And so it's gonna find a host. And unfortunately it's finding that host in the children. And I don't know for sure if children are more susceptible to the Delta than they were the others, or if um, now they're the group where, you know, they're just like a target, just waiting to be hit almost. And one of my friends, Dr. Hoven, who um, has been the president of the AMA before, Uh, and she's an infectious disease specialist, Um, she has pointed out that when people are hesitant to get vaccines, that really, if they could just think about the children, you know, if you could put aside some of your thoughts and think that the children are very vulnerable, and until we know more information, you know, we're not able to to vaccinate kids that are under 12, except in a research uh, type situation, so if you don't, if you can't come up with another good reason, get vaccinated for the children just to try to prevent them because they're like wide open, just waiting. You know, they don't want to get COVID, but they're at risk. And kids that are under three, maybe, maybe a three-year-old, but kids that are under two and under, it's really hard for them to wear a mask consistently, even masks that are made for their face. It's just hard, right? And babies, you can't put a mask on a baby. And so, I mean, you might be able to, but it's not going to stay there. And plus, they can't understand what you're doing. So really, those are our very vulnerable people in our population that we need to be all doing what we can to help them.
0: Yeah, that, and, and that's a good point. And that's kind of where I come down of, of you know, the Bible makes it clear we're to always put the other person first and, uh, and to treat people the way you'd want to be treated. Um, and so, you know, if wearing a mask helps, if it works, if it if it. If at the very least it just makes the other person feel more comfortable, um, then you know what harm does it do? And it, and it could, and it and it could very well, uh, you know, do do good. You know, and, and does, nothing's a guarantee. I mean, I don't really understand how this works. Uh, you you may, but my understanding is like like the flu. You know, every year you get a, have to get another flu shot because the flu virus will mutate, and this strain of flu is not the same as as last year's. And so that's kind of the same way with this, right? And so you had COVID and it mutated into Delta, and now you've even got I mean they're going through the whole Greek alphabet. Now they're down to MOVE, I think is the last one. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Now we're Lambda and up to I think uh, I like think you move. said it Like I saw
0: one that said the <laughs> Mu variant uh from that um and so my understanding is the more people get vaccinated, then the less likely those variants will continue. But because we still, you know, we were hoping that um we that you know, we would have 75, 80 percent vaccination rate, and we're below 50 or, or right at 50 now in the United States. In Tennessee, we're in the 40s. My my county is the highest county. I think we're at like 52 or 53 percent. But if we would have gotten to that 75, 80 percent vaccine rate, then we wouldn't we wouldn't have to be dealing with as many variants as we're dealing with now. Is, is that correct?
1: That's right. That's exactly right. And um, my my life before COVID was with HIV. And so um, we learned some lessons that uh, with HIV that are very applicable to COVID. And so with HIV, we know um, that if a person's viral load, if their HIV is not under control then it, it mutates. And so that's the same thing with COVID in our population. If we're not able to completely squelch it and get it down to where it's not moving in our community, then it's going to adapt. And remember, viruses and bacteria and fungus, they're all, it's all amazing organisms. And their goal is to live, you know, just like us. Our goal is to live and make a living. And their goal is to live. And unfortunately, that's in us. And so they're going to um, however they can mutate and make changes so that they can survive. And that's exactly what happens in the community. Is, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, what's the difference? Because I had this question I asked one time, and this was mainly about now they're saying you get vaccine and now you, you may need a booster. Now for me, because of some health issues I have where I get, I get shots all the time, I always assumed that you're going to need more than one and that it would probably become a yearly, a I yearly think. thing. And so people are saying, well, then that's not a vaccine because the polio vaccine, you got it, one vaccine. Percent, you know, <laughs> and, and so how come the polio vaccine was one and done and, and, and these vaccines, you just, you know, you're going to have to keep. And so people think, well, they're not telling us the truth because they said the vaccine would work and now they're saying a booster and now, you know, oh, it's going to be yeah. yearly. So, well, I mean, what's the difference between like a polio virus that yeah. one vaccine seems to work and this type of virus that mutates all the time?
1: Yeah. And so that's right. That's exactly right. And just because um, a shot or a vaccine has to be given again, doesn't mean it's not a vaccine. It's still a vaccine. Um, And so um, if you can think about it, just like you pointed out at the, so different viruses and different bacteria have different properties and some are better at mutating and adapting. And so that's one of the reasons why in my mind, we don't have an HIV uh, virus vaccine right now. Is because um, it does mutate a lot, and so we've not been successful, for instance, of even coming up with a, a viral vaccine for that. Um, but with other with other things like uh, human papilloma virus is a good example. You know that's made a huge difference. Kids get vaccinated with that, and um, we've been able um, to understand that enough. And it's not mutating so that we can get the vaccine and it's done. But this virus is different. Each virus has its own characteristics, just like bacteria have their own characteristics. And so this virus is like the flu virus in that you're going to have different mutations, and you know most likely in the future. Um, There will be more additional vaccines, as we've already seen, um, that need to be done with the COVID vaccine. And I will say that the CDC has come out and said that people that um, there's different categories, but people that are immunocompromised, like either they have cancer or they're going, uh, undergoing cancer treatment or they're immunocompromised from the disease they have, Um, you and I were talking earlier, you know, to me, a person without a spleen or has something like that would probably fit into that category. Somebody that's on immunosuppressant medications, the CDC says that those people should go ahead and, um, you know, either talk to their doctor. You can actually go to your pharmacy. The pharmacy has certain criteria and they can give you that third dose. Um, Now, There's a lot of talk about, well, is everybody going to get a third dose? And, um, you know, the White House, I think, may have gotten just a little bit ahead of the CDC on that one. And eventually, I think the CDC is going to give us guidance on that. But right now, they've given us great guidance for about 2.5% of the population that are immunocompromised should go ahead and make their way to talking to their medical provider or talking to their pharmacist about getting that next poke for them because they do need that. And the the, the pharmacist or your doctor can, and you can pull up, you can pull up the, you can Google it, what who should get by the CDC, you can put in, who does the CDC says should get the third dose of vaccine. And it will come up and give you that very criteria, which is really nicely laid out.
0: Yeah. You know, er, early on in this, and, and I've tried my best to hold true to this. I have a I'm friend. Gonna
1: have to, Kevin, let me do something I, oh, with okay. this dog. I'm right. so sorry. Now no, she's no, no, moved no. to
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> we have a special guest with us. It's a dog, and you may have heard ah. it in the background. Um, and uh, we we like animals, so we're not going to uh, worry about that too much. She'll be right back uh, with us. If you got any questions, uh, feel free to ask. It's good to see so many people watching us um and i hope that uh that that you're getting something out of this and uh, again if you got a question you'd like to ask I uh, pleased oh, to do so. No, no, no.
1: One of the dangers <laughs> from working from home. Often my husband is here, and he can, and I'll be like texting him, "Get this dog out of here." I was home alone today.
0: Yeah, but well, early on, I, I have a friend. She's she's a uh, a minister, one of the one of the uh, associate pastors of a church here in town. But she comes out of. Um, she was an EMT before she went into ministry, and so um, the emergency management has worked closely with her, and she was kind of a lead person at her church. And so she told me early on, um, you know, she said, "Kevin, you need to block out all the noise that's going on. Listen to your local health department, your state health department, and the CDC." Now, yeah. now you would add who the, who to mm-hmm. that? Um, yeah. Listen to them and uh, and try to block out all the other noise. And I, I hope people are hearing me because if we would do that, that would I that would I I think would have stopped all the oh. politicalization that would have happened. And yeah. and I told someone because they say, well, the CDC is political and all that. And I said, well, you know what? Eventually, you got to put your trust in somebody. And yeah. the people at the CDC have been working on this. They live, eat, breathe, these kind of things. Um, they know more than that person sitting at the computer. And so to me, I've, I have found that helpful. Listen to my own local health department, yeah. uh, my own emergency management, what are they saying? And then the state. Um, and then, you know, of course, at our state, <laughs> there's been some problems. They, I don't know if you knew Dr. Ficus or not, uh, but, but they're personal friends of mine, but she was the lead state person on this and, and uh, she was let go um, by our governor because our governor, your governor has has done a mask mandate and has required mask mandates in school. Our governor has done none of that. And as a result, um, you know, we're making national news because of our, our school board meetings. Well, and
1: unfortunately, you know, um, our governor has not been able to respond to this surge the way he did previously. Um, our legislature has passed in saying that he can no longer do mask mandates. Okay. And so um, it it's reflected in our numbers because before when we were so high, uh, in my opinion, our governor did put in the mask mandates. So I've just been trying to tell everybody, even if you're vaccinated right now, it's a good time to wear a mask um, because uh, what I'm seeing is I am seeing breakthrough cases with the vaccination and I pulled our 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 UK numbers, but we are seeing some breakthrough cases with the COVID vaccine. But I will say so far, everybody that I've interacted with that that have had COVID vaccine breakthrough cases, meaning you get COVID even though you've been vaccinated, all of them that I've taken care of or heard about have all either had diabetes, hypertension, obesity, asthma. They've had something else. Um, And so they're, again, vulnerable, right? Now, maybe I'm not hearing about the asymptomatic people. So by the time they bubble up to the chief of ID or to ID, you know, maybe I'm not hearing about the asymptomatic people, but those are the breakthrough cases. And the other cases that I'm seeing right now are people who've not been vaccinated. So right now at this moment or late last night, we had 90 positive COVID patients, actively positive at the University of Kentucky. We had 34, giving us a total of 124, but 34 no longer positive, but were there because of COVID. Uh, 88% of those 90 people were unvaccinated. So think about that. If you need a better comment on proof of vaccines work, 88% of our active COVID patients right now at the University of Kentucky are unvaccinated. Uh, 53 of those 90 patients are in the intensive care unit, 37 of them are on ventilators. And I've been told by the critical care people that maybe 2% of the people that are on ventilators, so maybe that's like, I don't know, it's not even, maybe one person, if there's 37, maybe one person on the ventilator is unvaccinated. So if you need proof that the vaccines work, Look at the numbers, and, and people aren't lying when they say 98% of the people that are hospital right now are unvaccinated. I mean, that's across the country. That is the truth. And you know, look on the CDC. You can go. You can go. If you don't believe me, go on the University of Kentucky. Try to find their numbers. You can find it almost any hospital posts it. So unless every, so either every medical hospital is lying, or it's the truth.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, well. let me I, I mean, how frustrating is it to you as an expert to have to deal with with the politics behind all of this? I mean, it's like, you know, you can you can sit here and, and in my mind, I'm hearing people. You're making all these good points. And in my mind, I'm going to. hear, Yeah. But so and so in this article or in this Facebook post said this and I'm choosing to believe this person uh, or unfortunately this minister you know, we, we got a local pastor in Nashville who's just gone off the rails a few times and people are listening to, uh, to him uh, instead of a medical doctor or, or an infectious disease specialist. I mean, how frustrating is that?
1: It, it is, you are right, Kevin. It is so frustrating. Um, I, I, I don't think I've ever lived in a time where I've seen so many medical people feel just, you know, really frustrated um and I think about it you know most of us I mean okay there's probably some mechanics out there that aren't very good people right I mean they're they're out what my my family I don't know if this is a West Virginia term would call shysters right they they they're up to no good they want to take your money but that's probably like very little of the of the mechanics that are out there and so if my mechanic is kicking at my tires and looking at it and saying your tires really need to be replaced or you're in danger of I don't even know enough about a car to say what might happen but they're kicking at my tires saying your tires are a mess or you know we found out this information about your car that if we do this or that or a recall right we all are used to recalls we're, we're used to information coming out on something that looked good but now it's not and you need to take your car or your phone back you know, and and get something done on it. Why in the world would droves of medical people be telling you this? And then there are these lone voices of, I'm sorry, they're just kind of like craziness speaking. Why would there be droves of that? And, uh, you know, why would you listen to those people as opposed to your medical doctor? And I have one of my patients who I've taken care of her now for 10, maybe 12 years with HIV. And I, and she's like, I just, I'm not, I don't want to get the virus. And I was like, I I don't want to get the vaccine. And I pulled up her chart and I said, we've done all these vaccinations on you. This is a time where you've listened to me with all these other vaccines. You really need to listen to me on this one. And she goes, well, it's your all, you doctor's fault. Um, Some of you are saying to get vaccines and some of you are saying not. And I said, but I'm here in this room with you. I've been taking care of you for 10 years. I've given you all these other vaccines. I've given you HIV medicine that has helped your HIV and helped you live. Why would I be making this up? Why would I take the vaccine myself, give it to my three children, my husband, make sure all my siblings get it? I mean, it's just like, it's almost like people are brainwashed. You know, it it doesn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Surely you see
1: my frustration. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. And it's almost like, you know, it, it, like I told somebody the other day, somebody was asking me, and I said, "Well, it's almost like if you wear a mask, then that means you're a Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, which means you support abortion." I mean, that, that's kind of the way the logic, Crazy. Uh, you know, is, well, <laughs> the way the logic flows. You go from wearing a mask to being a baby killer, you know, in in some people's minds. From that, and it's like, whoa, wait, let's. There, there's that's, there's a lot of in between going on. Yeah, um, and that's
1: why I kind of brought up the WHO because I had to do a talk last week and I was really impressed with actually some of their animations that they had for the basic, you know, basic suggestions and I thought, okay, if people think that that it's the US government, you know, a plan or whatever, let's just go to a let's go to another country or let's go to the world and even yeah. the World Health Organization is promoting those three things that we talked about and they're promoting vaccines. Um, yeah. and, and it's so sad because you know there are people in countries that would love the opportunity to pass up a vaccine. Oh, <laughs> they can't yeah. even get the opportunity to not go. Um, so I think it's like there are countries where one in 2% of the population have even been offered the vaccine. And this is a country where you have to have vaccines to start school. Um, if you're going to work in food, you have to have hepatitis A, I believe, and they, I don't think hepatitis B, but you have to have a hepatitis A. Food workers have to get a vaccine. Medical people have to have hepatitis B. We're supposed to get the flu shot every year. Um, we have certain things that we're supposed to have. If you're a veterinarian, you might have to take um, different type of vaccines, uh, depending on what kind of animal exposure you might have. So all across the country we have traditionally had vaccines that people have to take. And why suddenly are people thinking this is any different? I mean, yeah. when we're talking yeah. about trying to save lives.
0: Yeah, I know, and, and that's where like, you know, people, and, and people are, um, because of this vaccine are, are signing religious exemption. And I'm like, well, first of all, show me in scripture where that is, but then also let me see your vaccine record. You've gotten all these other vaccines and now all of a sudden, on this, yeah. one. It's, it's just unfortunate that it's become political. You know, one, I guess one of the advantages they had in the early 1900s, the, they didn't have social media uh, to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like everyone. But evidently,
1: that. you know, evidently there was a lot of controversy, though. Even yeah. then, there was controversy for mask wearing and there was controversy for vaccine vaccinations as well. Yeah, But, um, you know, I I like what you said. People can, you know, look at your trusted sources. So, you know, look at the CDC, cdc cdc.gov. You can go on there and type in questions and really, really good information. um, If you're like, well, I no longer trust the United States. Okay, then go to WHO you know you got to trust somebody you
0: got to trust somebody your health You're,
1: organization then yeah. if you don't trust the your
0: mechanic your mechanic illustration was very very good because I, i've got a mechanic that i've been using for 20 plus years right and he can tell me anything i mean if he wants to take advantage of me he can because if he t- whatever he tells me i'm like okay right. fix it you know because yeah. i don't know anything and i and i'm trusting no. him and so I, and I feel the same way about my doctor my you know I. I I'm a person who believes in the placebo effect. If my doctor tells me that this medicine is going to work, it could be a tic-tac he gave me, but it, but if he told me it's going to work, then then I'm going to take it and, I, and I'm going to feel better. So, but that's, that's, there's a lot of trust in that. And, but yet for whatever reason with this pandemic, it has gotten to be so political, uh, people aren't trusting and it's, and it's destroying families Um, It is destroying churches. I mean, even in my in my small church, which I want to ask you about that, your feelings about going back to church. But even in our in our small church, you know, um, we we went back to services in June. And uh, because of the surge, you know, I'll get an email from a member who says until the surge uh, slows down, I want to watch online, which I completely Mm -hmm. understand. But then I've got people who they're not going to get vaccinated. They're not going to wear a mask no matter what you tell them. And so yeah. it, it has harmed friendships, it has harmed churches, it has harmed, um, you know, I mean, again, the, I don't wanna go back and forth to the school board, but our school board meetings here in my local community have just been unbelievable. The, the hatred um, that has been expressed um, over this and it's just gotten out of hand, but to the churches, I, I mean, I know you're a woman of faith, mm-hmm. but to, what's your recommendation to, uh, to churches?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I do I do think it it's a little bit risky. Um, you know, early on, some of the um the the first spreads were with people, you know, where they where they saw sort of mass spreading. It was with people singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that's something to keep in mind. The church that I attend, we they are, we have gone back to going to church. I have not gone back to church. My husband and I are still zooming. Um we were about to at the point where we were considering going back to church um, and then we hit the surge and I was just like, you know, I'm not I'm not going back. I try my best to protect myself and not to be in um, large crowds if I am a mask. At our church, everyone does have to wear a mask, which I think is the right thing. Um, and uh, people are allowed to come to church that are not vaccinated. I don't think that's a um, you know a, a a ticket to get into church, but they do have to wear masks. Um, I do think the social distancing is really important, no matter where you are, be it you know at the grocery store versus at church uh, versus at school, as much as possible. So I, I do think that you know one of the things that I think I can say now. Is that I think it's important for people to be able to get get back to some uh, resemblance of life. Um, we can't, you know, stay in our homes by ourselves all the time. It's not. It's we're not for most of us. I think we are not made to be alone, right? We need each other, and so I think learning how to be able to be together safely is really important and. You know, obviously, I'm on the camp of wearing masks and distancing, and I just wish that other people could see that by doing these measures, that allows us, and by taking the vaccine, that allows us to emerge back to some resemblance of what we all want so badly, right, back to some kind of normalcy. And I think it's really hard to get back to that when, um, when folks just don't you know they're like oh well let's just not wear a mask and I'm sorry that is just not where the science is.
0: Yeah it really isn't and it's not to me it's not where um you know biblical ethics is of of thinking of the least of these or putting the other person's needs ahead of my own um you know that something so simple could make a a big difference. Now I have to be honest I have a hard time consistently wearing my mask. I always have it with me um Mm -hmm. but uh uh, but I'll walk in, like, oh no, I forgot, or, or you know, but, but try to um, uh, yeah. pay attention to what's going on around me. I, I got a feeling our church is probably headed back to virtual, um, just because of the, you know, we meet in the school, and the upsurge and uptick that's going on, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it's just, uh, uh, it's, it's just, there's so many other ways that you can serve God, and serve your community, um, besides just meeting together every week, although, you know, meeting together is important uh, and you right. can do that. There are other ways you can do that. If you look throughout church history, back in the middle ages, when there were these severe pandemics going on, how the churches responded back then, uh, for the most part was I think in, in, a, in a positive way where you, you, meet, you meet people's needs um, and you do take every precaution you can, but you don't, you know, you don't live in fear and that's you know, that's another thing, and just a hard thing I have to try to, to help people with is you, there's you can take these necessary precautions, get vaccinated, social distance, wear your mask, and and those all that does not mean you're living in fear,
1: you know? No, not at um, all.
0: Yeah, it, it's just this, these common sense things that can go a long way. <clears throat> and I read a, a while back that the 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 flu pandemic back in the early 1900s really uh, lasted for about three years.
1: Mm-hmm. And, did.
0: Um, and so in some ways that gave me hope, you know, I was depressed, this is still going on, but then I thought, well, that took three years yeah. We're a year and a half into what could be a three or four year uh, process to just try to um, figure out how to do this. And then what we're learning now will help us when, right. when something uh, more serious may come down the pike, a more, uh, a more deadly virus um, that, that might, that might be coming. Um, you know and if if we can learn how to live now that'll help us i think in the future so in closing again just thank you so much for joining me but but uh just think i'm put you on the spot um just some words of hope uh yeah. you know i mean we didn't even talk about the mental aspect that this yeah. is happening where suicide rates are going up and there are so many um ripple effects of the pandemic that have affected our lives but but where do you find hope to keep going i mean you're with it every day so So what what gives you hope that we're on the right track or that it's going to get better or or just that gives you hope just to get up and face another day. I mean, goodness gracious, working with HIV patients for so long, uh, which God bless you for that. That's such a needed area and they need, um, you know, just basic love and human dignity. And now uh, dealing with this every day. So where do you where do you find that strength and hope to keep going?
1: Right. Well, I think I think that is a, a great question, and I'm probably gonna um, mess up this quote. And I think it was her, but Mother Teresa. I think she had a quote. Um, you know, something about not to not to look for great things that you can do, but you know what, do little things with much love. And so that's really been a theme for me. And um, it's probably I'm gonna get emotional. But my my family um, has just been incredible. I have three sons and a, a wonderful, wonderful husband. And they have just been so incredible and such a support. And the people that I work with, um, you know, our nurse practitioner Tiffany, um, she is just, she always has my back and some of my colleagues. Um, and, you know, just I think that's one good thing that has come, or at least for my family. And and some of the families we have about eighty people that are part of our division, and some of the things that I'm seeing for some of those families is I think people have kind of gone back to the family. You know, I think um, you know during the early early times of the COVID, um, my son had moved to stay with us and work distantly from home from Michigan, and I would come home and just be so like spent after a day of trying to figure out you know like. how do we test people, what do we do with people, and all that, and we would watch the uh, English bake shows together, you know, just something silly and nonsensical, and uh, my son, who's in Louisville now, and one of my sons, he's uh, in medical school, and when he comes home, um, we'll, you know, we're not going out and doing a lot of stuff, we'll play Scrabble together. So we're doing, as a family, we're doing some of those things that we used to do when they were little, uh, spending time together. My husband and I have definitely gone on hikes and we've tried to find trails. We've gone to Louisville and met our son and like picked up to-go food, gone in his apartment, eaten, and then we'll go for a walk at some park. So I think helping us think about back to the basics again, You know, we've talked about back to the basics to mitigate your risk, but if you think about it for your mental health, you know what are the things that you can do that make you feel better? And I grew up in the country, and always being outside always makes me feel better. So as much as you can get out, go for a walk. You know, pets right now have played an important role for people. Um, their children taking joy in their children, um, joy in your family, spending time with your family um you know doing facetime calling those people that you love i think i think family family has been and, and not just my own family but my work family my church family my community family has really been a strength for me during this time
0: yeah good well thank you so much again and uh, if you don't mind let me i just want to pray for you uh, before i oh, would above. love all right. that all right let's pray Great. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for Dr. Thornton, and I just pray a a special blessing on her and her team, um, and uh, really just all of our healthcare workers, but Lord, especially for her, encourage her today, and and keep protecting her and her family. I thank you for the work that she does, and I pray that uh, people would just listen to um, her expertise, um, and that we would learn how to live uh, together and uh, and to take the safety precautions that we need to, so that we can get back to some type of normalcy. So thank you for this day and uh, just be with us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, thank Jim.
1: you so much.
0: Yeah, I want to hit the. Hang on. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at FloodsOfJustice.com. Or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin. Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler podcast network. The Tennessee Holler provides relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at www.tnholler.com.